beloved. <laughs> I, I told Richard I was going to try and open the sermon by saying that. At the, the cathedral yesterday, the Bishop of London says with great grandeur at the start of all of his talks, he says, beloved. And uh, Rich and I were discussing on the way out whether we could carry it off. I probably can't. But he does make a very important point <laughs> when he does that. Right at the start of every talk that he ever gives, he says, you're loved. Fundamentally, first, before I say anything else, you are beloved. You're loved. And I wasn't going to do that, and then I was reminded of it, so I know, I've done it. Um, there we go. I need a beard and a bigger beard. Yeah, it's not going to work. Um, and a lot of other stuff, I expect. But um, it's great to be with you this evening. There's a buzz in this place this evening, isn't there? Isn't it exciting? He's going to make one heck of an assistant curate. Um, uh, it's amazing to see all of you here. Amazing to see a lot of the young people here. Exams are over. Coming to the end of term. Summer holidays coming up. Um, and um, it's brilliant to be here. Uh, we've got an amazing passage of Scripture to look at today. But before we do, I, w- I want to tell you a little bit more about my embarrassing moment um, or hour and three quarters yesterday. So I showed up at St. Paul's Cathedral yesterday, and I, was, um, I had to get changed into my uh, robes. And so I asked the first one, I said, well, where, where do I go to change? And they pointed me down, they pointed that way. And so I walked down and asked the next person, well, where do I go? I need to get changed. Um, and it pointed me into the room, and I went into the room. And I, there were lots of, I thought I was probably in the right place, because I could see other dog collars, and I could see people getting changed. And so um, I thought, okay, cool. And I started uh, getting into my robes, and uh, chatting to one or two people there I knew, and and it was great, and Richard was there, and I thought, yeah, I'm probably, probably, this is probably the place I'm going to be. And about 10 minutes or so before the, the service started, I began to get like, just a whisper that I might actually be in the wrong place. Uh, and it began to, it, it became clear that actually this was the gathering just for incumbents, not for just other clergy. And I was in the wrong place completely. And um, so I asked this guy from the diocese called Martin. I was like, what do I do? Should I, am I, am I deaf? Am I, should I be out? Where should I go? And he said, I'll oh, just stick, stick with Richard. Just stick with Richard. And uh, all this time, Richard was not telling me that I was in the wrong place, by the way. <laughs> he was there. He wouldn't have known. He just, he just let it go. Um, uh, and, uh, and then this... this Dear lady um, uh, came along, was very official looking, and confirmed basically I was in the wrong place, but it was too late. And so just, just go with Richard. At this point, Richard's just kind of quietly giggling. As, um, as we march into St. Paul's Cathedral, um, uh, the problem is I, 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 there were a few other people that I knew there and who knew me and knew I was not a training incumbent. And so there we were, processing in. It's all very grand. Like everybody's looking at you. You process in, you go up, and you go around, and you come back down. And there I am walking in. There's past lecturers and stuff of mine. There's, there's one or two bishops actually know who I am, Bishop Mario, Bishop, going, he's definitely in the wrong place. I'm catching one or two looks of people like, no, no. And then, and then Dennis comes in, and he's processed down. And then, and then they do I didn't know they were going to do this either. Then all the training incumbents go out into the middle to, to stand with their new curate, their new assistant curate. At which point I'm like, well, I can't just be, just be the one person left in these chairs like a total lemon. So I went forward. And all the other curates had like one training incumbent. But Dennis had two. I was in totally the wrong place. I was a total fraud. The person I was pretending to be in this situation, I was not. Richard was the training company. I'm, I'm not. And um, I, I kind of felt a bit awkward and a bit embarrassed the whole way through. Um, Richard, I think, just found it amusing. And I repeat, he didn't tell me at any point before when he could have. Um, and um, 
the reason I tell that story is um, when we're... Have you ever been in that moment where you're, you're found out? And actually, the person you might put forward as being, you know actually is not the person you really are. And there's that kind of awkwardness when people realize when you realize, and it's embarrassing. Um, some people don't care so much about um, kind of... Uh, what they look like out there, it doesn't really matter to them. There's a sort of a thin, thin layer between like what they put out there and what, who they really are. A bit like, bit like this person. Have we got the video? Can we put it on? There we go. Leave it on just a little bit longer. Okay, you can take it off now. Um, that's that. Kate put that up on Facebook last week. Now, some of us, I know, curate our Facebook profiles quite closely because we want people to have a certain image of us. I'm looking at some of the youth now. You're very careful with the photos that go up on your Facebook profile and the image you put out there because you want people to see this, not how you really are. Imagine if everything that you really thought and everything that you really were was automatically uploaded onto your Facebook profile, no matter what it was. Most of us would probably be mortified. Jacob has a moment in uh, this passage. This really is the crescendo of his life. This is a conversion moment. And he has a moment in this story where he is stripped absolutely bare. There, there are no more defenses. There's no more pretending. You'll remember that Jacob is a great schemer and a great pretender and a great fake and a great forward most of his life. And there's this moment wrestling with this character who emerges to be God where he's just himself, alone in the dark. And I want to suggest that every one of us at some point in our life need a moment, kind of a crisis like this, where it's just us, alone, before God, nothing else. And there might be some people who've never had the courage to kind of be just themselves, alone, before God. What if he saw me how I really was? Would he still love me? It's scary. Just as the thought of it all going up on Facebook is scary. I want to suggest that there's one line that came to me as we were worshipping earlier. I'm going to say it now. I'm going to try and say it at different points during the talk so we remember it. It's good to live with a limp. Can you say that with me? It's good to live with a limp. Say it one more time. It's good to live with a limp. We'll come back to that. So grab your Bibles, if you've got them, turn to um, uh, our reading, and halfway through that reading, verse 27, this is the moment, all is stripped bare. We'll explore a little bit more the story of Jacob to, to see where he's got to this point in just a moment. But the man asks, asked him, what is your name? Can anybody think of another point in the story of Jacob where he's asked... What is your name? Anybody? Hands up, shout out. Yeah. When he's deceiving his father, Isaac. What is your name? Esau, he says. Pretending to be somebody he's not. To get a blessing he doesn't deserve, that he knows really isn't his, and so doesn't satisfy. And he carries on in this cycle of trying to achieve blessing in different places and through different people. Here, he's stripped bare. He's got nothing left. He's burnt his bridges behind him. In front of him, he's terrified. He's about to meet his brother Esau again. The last time he saw Esau, Esau was out to kill him. 20 years later, a bit more later, 
Esau is advancing towards him with 400 men. He thinks he's going to die. He's got nothing. He's got nothing left. He's wrestling this guy alone in the dark. He's sent his family, his treasure, all the wealth he's built up away. It's just him. Who are you? Jacob. All of us at some point in our lives need to go, Mike. Ben. Emily. Let's um, explore a little bit how um, Jacob's got to this point, the, the wrestling he's done in his life. I'm going to need some um, volunteers um, at this point. Um, uh, ben, can you join me? Ben, you are going to represent, um, up here you're going to be Isaac. This is his first key figure in, uh, in Jacob's life. So this is Isaac. Say hello to Isaac. Um, and then we're going to need Laban. I need someone to be Laban. Josh, can you come be Laban for me? Please come be Laban for me. Okay, Sam, you're Laban, just because you're stood next to Josh. So um, Sam is Laban for us. So um, Sam, if you stand there, you're Laban. And um, uh, we need one more. We need Esau. Um, you're going to be Esau for me. Um, Dan is going to be Esau, because this will work beautifully, because then his brother Jack, you're going to be Jacob. Um, so this is, this is Jacob. This is Jacob. Come, come stand. Um, and, and this is his brother Esau. Now, um, Jacob, I want you to go and wrestle Isaac. It's good. It's good. Take him down. Take him down. Isaac, don't. You can't. Uh, that child protection. You c- um, okay, brilliant. There you go. You've illustrated it perfectly. Now, at the start of uh, Jacob's life, you guys need to stay here for a bit longer. Um, the start of Jacob's life, he's wrestling uh, right from before he's even born. I don't know if people remember, before he's even born, if this is like a timeline as well, um, before he's even born, Jacob's wrestling Esau in his mother's womb. Do you remember that bit? And then there's this prophecy over his life that actually the older is going to serve the younger. So God's already made a promise over this guy's life. But then his early life is actually spent wrestling, trying to get what God has already promised himself, because basically he doesn't trust God enough. He's a wrestler. He's a schemer. And so he's fighting his uh, brother for his birthright. He's fighting to get the blessing of his father, uh, to, to engineer it by his own means, this, what God has already spoken. And he wrestles with his father. And his father tragically doesn't, doesn't love him like he loves Esau. And there's this deficit in Jacob's life. Because he's never experienced that love, that blessing, that affirmation we all need. I, I see it in my littlest, Leo, every morning uh, when I uh, get him out and I dress him. Like he, He's looking in my eyes. And as long as he's looking in my eyes, there's this huge smile first thing in the morning. It's adorable. Um, I, um, it makes getting up, along with a bit of caffeine, bearable. And um, he's absolutely adorable. But I've noticed that if I look elsewhere to get some clothes or some nappies or whatever it is... Um, the smile kind of goes, it drifts, and then when I look back at him, smile on again. Because even from that youngest age, he needs to know love. He needs to know that he's affirmed. We carry that. It's the human condition right the way through our lives. And Jacob has a tough start with that. Some of us might have had a tough start with that. And he's trying to get this blessing by himself. He doesn't achieve it. The closest he comes is by pretending to be somebody he's not, as we know, we've already heard. Anyway, so he moves on. Um, Isaac, you can go and grab a seat now. A round of applause for Isaac. Moves on. Um, and he's on his way. He's fleeing for his life. He's on his way to Laban. 
And, uh, and he has this extraordinary encounter, the stairway to heaven. Do we remember that passage? Extraordinary encounter with God, about 20 years before where we are now in today's reading. And um, again, God reiterates these amazing promises over his life. If you imagine, um, oh dear, if you imagine God's faithfulness is like this constant running right the way through the story, it's always there, despite the up and down of Jacob. I don't know if that tracks with anybody else's life, God's faithfulness, but we kind of go up and down. We have these moments of encounter and blessing, but up and down, up and down in terms of our faithfulness. Here's Jacob, has this amazing encounter. God reiterates these promises. I'm going to bless you. Um, All these people, this whole nation is going to be built through you. Um, uh, But then he gets to meet Laban. Laban is actually a schemer just like Jacob is. And Jacob um, wrestles with Laban, wrestle with Laban. There you go. Brilliant. Round of applause. Um, He's a bit more tired in his wrestling now, evidently. Um, So he wrestles Laban. He wrestles Laban for his daughters. He's after Rachel. He gets Leah. He wrestles for another seven years. He gets um, uh, Rachel as well. He wrestles to make a name for himself, to build wealth for himself. He doesn't just trust in the promises of God. He schemes again. So he does some weird stuff with the cattle and with the sheep and the goats and gets the strongest ones and the best ones basically to become his and to breed them so he gets the strongest and the best. He's scheming. He's conniving to build up a name, build up his wealth, to get affirmation or blessing or whatever from that and from Laban and from this relationship. That falls apart. He has to flee from Laban. Um, That relationship deteriorates. We move on. Round of applause for Laban. And here we are, Jacob is on his way home. Again, at God's command, God says, now is the time, go home, I will be with you. Again, this tracking of God's faithfulness, his promise into Jacob's life. And then we arrive here. And he hears that Esau is advancing towards him with 400 men. And he thinks, this actually has been my nemesis. My whole life has been Esau from the womb to now. He's having to face up to all of this again. And uh, his, his deceiving, his betrayal earlier. And he's like, there's a showdown coming with my brother. And um, wrestle gently, just this could kick off. Um, okay, great, that's it, that's it. He tried to knock his hip out there, did you see? Um, um, okay, uh, you, can, you guys can both sit down again now. And um, he comes to this moment, he thinks uh, he's got this... this um, fight club going on with his brother. This Genesis fight club's about to happen with his brother Esau. And this extraordinary encounter happens in the middle of the night. He's again tried to control the situation any way he can. You will learn more about this next week. Do, do come back, listen in next week, because it's kind of the bookends of this story, him preparing to meet Esau and then meeting Esau. An extraordinary transformation that happens. So do come back for that. He's preparing to meet him. He's kind of scheming. He's sending forward these offerings to kind of like try and make it a sweeter deal with his brother. And then in the night, he's sending his family off and his treasures off. It's just him left in the dark. And he thinks, I'm... And, He's kind of half expecting, perhaps, that Esau's going to come after him. And indeed, this person starts wrestling him. But it's not Esau. And he slowly discovers, have a look at the reading again with me, that the person that he's wrestling is not Esau. He's someone quite different. You can see that he can't overpower him. They can't overpower each other. They seem to be evenly matched. And he carries on wrestling with him, and he carries on wrestling with him. Bit by bit, we see Jacob begin to realize that this isn't just any old normal person. 
perhaps particularly this moment, painfully so. Um, Verse 25, when the man saw he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip was wrenched, like dislocated, as he wrestled with the man. The word there for touched is just touched. Now, you know if somebody just goes, they're either some, like, um, Bruce Wayne or something, or they're God, maybe. Um, And uh, it's wrenched from his socket. And um, it's like, so clearly this guy has a reserve of awesome power that somehow, for some reason, he's not using just to crush him, um, but is there. So there's a hint. And then it emerges a little bit more. The man said um, to Jacob, let me go for its daybreak. Now, why, why does he say that? And I, I, I'm not finding a dif- definitive answer here, but there are a couple of commentaries that I read that basically say the reason the man says, let me go for its daybreak, is because it's God. And if he sees God face to face, he will die. This is, this is, and Jacob perhaps realizes that. Moses wanted to see God face to face. God says, but you can't. You'll die. And turn around, I'll pass by. That's the most you can handle of me. In other words, you'll die. Uh, perhaps here, again, it's another hint, you, you can't. And if Jacob understands that, what's fascinating is in that agony, in that point, he doesn't let go. Now, why is that? I think he's begun to realize that the person he's been wrestling his entire life actually has been God. It's all been leading to this moment. It's not been Esau. It's not been Isaac. It's not been Laban. It's not been whoever or whatever you've wrestled in your life. Actually, it's been God all along. The the promise that was made, him trying to manipulate and scheme it himself. The encounter with God, trying to manipulate, build a name for himself. Get this blessing, blessing, blessing. Get this affirmation. And I think in this fight... When he realizes his God, he kind of thinks, I've realized this is the blessing. This is the affirmation I've needed and I've been searching for my entire life. And I don't care if it costs me my life, I'm not letting go. There's a passage in the New Testament where Peter's with Jesus and persecution comes and people are turning away and Jesus says to Peter, are you going to go as well? Peter says, where where else would I go? I found the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? And I think there's a moment here for Jacob. He's like, this is what I've needed my entire life. And I'm not letting go until you bless me. It's It's a good thing to live with a limp. Can you say that with me again? It's a good thing to live with a limp. I think what Jacob realized in this moment is, don't care about the limp. It's a good thing to live with a limp if I get God. If I've been broken a bit, if I've had to be stripped bare to this point, but I get the blessing that I need, the relationship that I really need, more than anything else in this entire world, I can live with a limp. And... um. I am coming into land. I am, I've had moments in my life, 
and I'll share with you more afterwards, but the service has been quite long already, <laughs> um, where I've been reduced to that point. For some of you, I'm looking at some of the younger ones, you might not have ever had an experience where you felt like completely the end of your tether like that. Maybe you have. I don't know all of your lives or what you're wrestling with. But I do want to suggest to you that until you find this as your source and your foundation, this relationship with God, until you realize that this is the blessing that you need beyond and above and everything else in life, you will continue to find yourself wrestling throughout your life for blessing and affirmation in all of the wrong places. And it will be as much of a train wreck. Well, I hope it isn't. <laughs> but Jacob's life was a train wreck. He's not one of, you think of these Bible characters and you think you're going to look up to them. Please don't look up to the way that Jacob lived his life. What we look to when we see Jacob and the way he lived is like, we're not meant to admire Jacob, we're meant to admire God. That he would use someone like me, like Jacob, like you, because of his grace. And uh, I, was, I was walking home the other day, and um, I'm going to finish with basically what I wrote then, because, what was that? <laughs> um, um, and this is kind of what I, I, I scribbled down then, I'm going to come into land with this. Uh, like God saying, I will only come into your life when you begin to see that your lack of relationship with me is the problem beneath all of your problems, and the solution beyond all the solutions you've ever planned. I've been the center all along. Until you see I am the center and make me the center, we can't have this kind of an encounter, this kind of a relationship. It's good to live with a limp. Though you might try and run away from your past mistakes, I'll come and find you. Though you might feel overwhelmed by your fears and the future, your current circumstances, I'm not and I'll come and find you. I won't overwhelm you, as I easily could. But I'll allow you to wrestle with me through your issues, through your pains, through the stuff that's gone wrong, until you slowly realize who I really am. When you do, you'll be willing to submit to me to have my blessing. The good news is that you won't need to be wounded like Jacob, because my son was wounded for you. You won't need to be made weak, because he was made weak. The little that you can bear, he bore it all. And I wrote this. If you have a gap between the perception of who you are and who you know you really are when you're alone in the dark before God with nothing else, then I'll meet you there. And if you'll let me, I'll humble you, I'll change you, and I'll give you a whole new identity. Jacob is renamed Israel. All of that past history, that deceiving, scheming, grasping, gone. Replaced with the name of promise and purpose and life. Then you won't need to keep running from your past, fearing your future, searching for that sense of identity and blessing in all the wrong places. But instead you'll just come home to the father you've always longed for. It's a good thing to live with a limp.